Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. Chris, um, Chris and I were talking just a second ago just uh, about the, uh, there are a few famous pastors recently um, in the media who have made some gross errors. Uh, they're not who they, we thought they were. Um, uh, <clears throat> super, for me, uh, this is super disappointing. Um, and I, I, I was saying to Chris, I don't imagine that if I was in their position, that I would, I would not make mistakes um, or do it, you know, do terrible things. Um, I, I don't want to underestimate the difficulty of being famous and being in their position. Um, but I wonder about if the things that we're talking about today of, of confession, of regular confession, um, could have helped them avoid I need reminders all the time. Uh, I need constant reminders of the person that I want to be most. Um, I often make promises to myself to, to be a kind of person that I want to be um, and not be so focused on myself. And then I start my day. And all of that seems to uh, go to this, you know, just go sideways. And I don't, there's no noticeable difference in me and how I live. Um, and honestly, I forget, I forget about who I want to be most and I, I end up being, you know, who I want to be in the moment or who I want to be now in that, in that, in that specific moment. And, and sometimes that leads to attitudes and behaviors that I'm not, I'm just not proud of. I don't, I don't want to be about. So all throughout the Bible, God would command these reminders for his people, uh, give them commands where he'd say, I want you to do this to help you remember who you want to be most. Uh, so even though Easter is not a, it's not a, a official holiday, a spiritual holiday that God commands in the Bible, it certainly can be uh, uh, something that we can use to celebrate to help us remind us of who we want to be most. Um, and if you're a Jesus follower, um, if you're a Jesus follower, I, I want to encourage you, remember your baptism. Remember when you committed to Christ. Remember what, what you said, you know, who you said you wanted to be when that, when you did that, you know, you, you, you were, uh, you, who you promised to, to, to be and live up to that person. Um, and when you, you know, you, you were baptized, you were promising to be crucified with Christ and that you weren't going to live and he was going to live through, live through you. Um, and I, I, you know, we forget that promise. We forget what we promised. Um, the, but this is what we've committed to. And, and many of us, when we committed to Christ, we were ready to run through the brick walls for him. We were ready to take on the world and, uh, Sometimes that slips away. Um, it, it, it's, it's not our focus anymore. Um, over time, you know, we can barely inconvenience ourselves for Christ. Uh, and <clears throat> Easter can help motivate us back towards the people who like, we'd like to be most, who we want to be most. Um, so the first, first two verses that Carrie read, um, they, they start out this way. And, and my version is uh, slightly different from hers. It says this. It says, blessed is the one. Blessed is the one, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman, blessed is the one. Um, and, and this is meant to be an attention grabber. It's meant to be, it's meant to say, you know, who wants to be blessed? Raise your hand. Or it says, it's meant to say, 
don't you guys really want to be blessed? Blessed is the one who does. Um, says, who wants to be blessed? And I do. And, and you do too, even if you wouldn't say it like that. It's not, this is, you know, most of us don't use the word blessed when we're talking about ourselves unless we're talking about us getting, you know, getting what we want. Um, and, and like, uh, you know, I got a raise, hashtag blessed. Or um, I, I, I got my scholarship, I'm so blessed. Um, think, things like that. Um, but in the Bible, uh, being blessed wasn't just getting what you wanted. Um, or having things work out favorably for you, um, or ha- you know, having nice things happen to you. Blessed in the Bible was this supreme soul satisfaction that's beyond getting nice things that you want. I would love it, I would love it, I would love it. If you'd remember this, you'd pause or you'd write this down or whatever. Write, write this phrase down, supreme soul satisfaction. And think about what it means. Think about what that would look like. Clearly the stuff that has, you know, there's stuff on earth that gives us glimpses of this. Um, you know, all the things we love, our favorite music, um, you know, when you get together with family in the holidays, you know, they, they give us glimpses of, of these things. Um, I think they're, they're meant to make us thirsty first. This is this supreme soul satisfaction that, that he gives. So um, one time my family, my family and um, some friends went to see a friend in concert. And when we got to this place, we found out that they only serve drinks. There's no food. And I was anticipating food. Um, so uh, I, you know, that's how it's going to have to be. So I sit down and after sitting down, though, we find out that they do have some, they, have, they do have some food that they have. Um, it is free food, free popcorn. And I, you think, wow, that's so nice of them to have free popcorn for us. And so we all, you know, we all get to buy these bags of popcorn and we're smashing on the popcorn because I'm super hungry. And all of a sudden, guess what? We are so thirsty. <laughs> so thirsty. And so we end up buying $5 drinks. Um, here's the blessings that God gives us, I think they're, they're meant to make us thirsty for this supreme soul satisfaction. The, the, the music, the, the great movies, the great, the, the, the great family experiences, the things that we experience here is like free popcorn meant to, meant to make you thirsty for the, the best thing. The best thing. So the blessing that God gives in the Bible is anything that he gives that makes us, uh, that makes us drawn into this supreme satisfaction, this desire for that. And, and, and we don't get excited when we read, when we talk about that, or we read that, we're like, man, you know, God, God's blessing, I guess I want that. But I, uh, I guess I'm, I'm praying and desiring that uh, you'd want this. 
And I guess I want to ask you, um, I want to ask you to try some things with me this month leading up to Easter uh, to see if you will, if you'll be blessed, if you could experience this more. It's an, it's an experiment, I guess. I'm going to ask you to try some things with me. Um, Easter's a reminder that Christ supremely satisfies and nothing else does. Nothing else that, the, that we chase does. So I, I want you to answer this question to yourself, to your, just between you, you and the Lord. Do you want to be blessed? If being blessed means finding supreme soul satisfaction, do you want it? And would you be unwilling, I mean, would you be willing to do some things this month that you might be uncomfortable with in order to get it? So one of the reasons why, you know, all some of us, you know, as Christians, we go through our whole lives and we stay in the same place in our relationship with the Lord is that we only do things that we like, we're comfortable with, that we grew up with. And, and, we only, and then when people bring up things that are kind of outside that, we're like, I'm not doing that. I'm not trying that. I'm not about that. I can, I, can be, I can be a good Christian by doing just these things that I know growing up that I've done. And you, okay, you can go to heaven. And, uh, but what I'm saying to you is this. <laughs> there is supreme soul satisfaction in Christ that we never, ever get to. So let's read this again. Um, and again, like I said, this is the NIV version. Um, it says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. Um, I, I, I want to share some thoughts about forgiveness and confession, like, like Chris has kind of said. Uh, from, just from, and th- these are ideas from a couple different pastors and authors, so I didn't come up with these ideas. I'm from, from Tim Keller and Richard Foster, um, super smart guys. So uh, this, this verse, is, it says this. It says, supremely satisfied, supremely, uh, supremely satisfied in their souls are the, are, the, are the ones who are forgiven. Most fulfilled in life are the ones who are forgiven. So in our lives, we act like the people who are most fulfilled are the ones who don't need any help, um, the ones who are getting it right all the time, the ones who don't, who don't need to spend any time asking for forgiveness, the ones who are, you know, who are getting it done in life, those are the ones who, and we know that logically that that's not true, but we, we, we feel that pressure even if we know, that's not, we know that's not true. But this says, um, the one who's forgiven. So a historian named Luke, I want to show, I want to show you this because I think that if I could show it to you, we'll be on the same page. A, a historian named Luke writes down an interaction um, that, that Jesus has when he was at the home of a religious leader for a dinner party. And, and while he's sitting there at this home, this woman comes into this dinner party, un, un, uninvited, uninvited, and she is crying her eyes out. Uh, and this woman is a woman who's known in the town as a sinner. So she comes to the dinner party uninvited, crying her eyes out. She comes up to Jesus' feet. So, and to, and to make this, I, I've said this before, but, but when we read the Bible, we, just, we, we take these situations for granted and we don't make them real. So let's, let's pretend just for a second that all of us are at a wedding. And at that wedding, 
the wedding's over, we're at the reception, and at the, at the main table, the, the, the bride and the groom are sitting there at the main table, and this woman who everybody knows, in that, in, in everyone, every, everyone in our church community knows, she sleeps around, she slept around with several of the husbands, and it's just, we've had to put her out of the church. She comes in the room, uninvited, and she gets down at the husband's feet and starts crying and weeping, and we're all sitting there, at the, we're, we're thinking, this is really awkward. <laughs> This is really bad. Keep that girl away from your husband, right? This is what's happening here. And everyone, everyone sees her walk in and they, they all know who she is. And everyone's thinking if Jesus knew who this person is, he would say, get away from me. I don't want to be associated with you. You're a bad person. And he, does, he doesn't do that. He does the opposite. He does something. He basically, he stands up and defends her to everyone. And if you've ever been in a situation where everyone's hating on you and then somebody, somebody who's respected in the room stands up and defends you, it's a really good feeling. <laughs> it's really awesome. That's what happens. Jesus stands up and he defends her in front of everybody. He says, you guys leave her alone because what she's doing is better than anything that any of you guys have done for me when I walked into this room. And he says this, he says this, and I tell you that all her sins are forgiven and that is why she has shown great love. But anyone who's, who has been forgiven for only a little will only show a little love. So I want you to think about this now. Think about this. When that dinner party's over, and everybody's walking out of the room. Who walks out supremely satisfied? Who walks out with supreme soul satisfaction? Is it the religious leader who's acting like, I've never done anything wrong in my life. Look at this terrible person. She walks out forgiven. Supreme soul satisfaction. And Jesus, she, she, so she walks in the room and she, she basically is spiritually and emotionally uncovered. And everyone in the room can see her and know how bad she's been. And Jesus covers her. Jesus covers her. Which obviously takes us back, it takes us back um, the beginning of the Bible, blessed is the one who God covers. Um, so at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, um, some of you guys know the first people um, were Adam and Eve in the garden, um, always naked, but felt no shame. And then they disobey God's command. And the very first, one of the very first things they do is they cover themselves. They cover themselves. And when God steps in after, after they've sinned and he finds out, he has them, they end up confessing what they do, what they've done. God covers them. He does the covering. He does the covering. In this, in this story, in the story with that Luke wrote down, the religious leader is covering himself with rule keeping and self-righteousness. Um, and, and we try to cover ourselves with our talents or our job or money or, or winning or our, our race or your sexuality or your gender or your politics or whatever you can come up with to, just, you know, to, to kind of cover, cover, cover you up. And it's exhausting. Those of you guys, any of us who try, you, you, you spend your life trying to cover yourself, it's exhausting. Because you got to convince other people, you got to show up, you got you to be, be on your game, you got to be ready. It's exhausting. Wouldn't it be really great to show up somewhere and have Jesus cover it? And have Jesus cover you? Wouldn't that be, 
Wouldn't you, wouldn't you walk out of the room soul satisfied? And, this is way better than me trying to cover myself. This is what's going on. This is what we're talking about in Psalm 32. Here's how it happens. Here's how it happens. Same way it happened for this, this woman. Forgiveness and confession. Forgiveness and confession. We're all going to fail. We're all going to fail. So how do you get up? When you fail, when you fail, how do you get up with more power than, bef- than from when before you failed? Like, how do you get knocked down and then get up with power? Forgiveness and confession. You know that that woman, when she came in the room, she's crumpled and broken. And when she got up, power, full of power, soul-satisfied power. Psalm 32 is going to tell us how. Psalm 32 is going to tell us how. I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to ask you to do some stuff that you're not going to want to do. So You don't got to. You don't got to. I'm, I'm just telling you. You'll be missing out. Before I get to that, let me, let me, let me say this though. Let me say this. My, my challenge for you is to learn to spend time in confession to the Lord and at least one other person, one other person. Um, we've talked about this. You know, I talk about this you know, every, once in a while, every time um, yeah, I talk about the, this subject to you guys. But I, I, always, I always feel like it's good for me to bring this up because we don't do it. We refuse to do it. I don't, not sure why. Because the Bible instructs us to, it says this, it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Do this so that God can heal you. When a, when a good man prays, great things happen. The word healing here is, it, it, it actually means something similar to the supreme satisfaction that we're talking about. So do this so that God can give you his supreme satisfaction. You, I, I can imagine the Lord on the edge of his seat saying, man, I sure do hope that Daryl does what I ask him to do. I want to give him supreme soul. He is walking around trying to cover himself by being successful and good at work, etc. But I don't, he doesn't need to do that. Do this so God can give you his supreme satisfaction. Um, and and we, receive, it was, we receive a kind of blessing when we confess to another person that's not possible when we do not. Um, a pastor and author, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, says it even stronger when he says this. He says this. Our brother or sister has been given to us to help us. We'd all agree with that. He hears the confession of our sins in Christ's stead and he forgives our sins in Christ's name. He keeps the secret of our confession as God keeps it. When I go to my brother to confess, I am going to God. That's a strong statement, right? You might, maybe, maybe you see that. That's a, that's a really strong statement. Maybe you don't agree with it. Maybe you don't agree with it. Fo- followers of Jesus have been given the authority to receive confession of sin and forgive it in his name. It is true. It is true. After Jesus had risen from the dead, 
He said this to some of his disciples, and this, was, this, wasn't, this wasn't just the 12 disciples. This is random people. We don't even know their names. He says this. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> if you don't forgive them, then they are not forgiven. And if, if this wasn't in the Bible and I stood up here and said this, you guys would boo me off the stage, right? <laughs> you would be like, you can't say I don't know everything that this means. Here's what I know it can't mean. I know it can't mean this. I know it can't mean that if his disciples don't forgive sins, that that can keep that person from going to heaven. Like Joe confesses his sin to Peter and Peter says, you know what? I don't forgive you. And then that, then Joe can't go to heaven. It, it, It can't mean that. But I'll tell you this, at least part of what it means is this. At least part of what it means is this. There is a blessing. There is a healing there is, there is supreme satisfaction that Jesus' followers can, can have access to, when they, that they, they can pass on to one another. When we have this interaction that we're commanded to have, we confess our sins to one another, and that person in Christ's stead blesses you with forgiveness. We started, we started this message, and you said, you said... You want to be blessed, right? This is how. This is how. Let's look at the, uh, the way of confession, Psalm 32. Um, and it applies to confession to God and to each other. We can apply it both ways, but let, let, let's walk through this together. So first, um, when, when we intend to confess, we need to distinguish between true guilt and false guilt. Um, so some of, you, some of you feel guilty all the time. Exhausting. Um, some of you never feel guilty about anything. Uh, guilt is meant to, uh, to tell us we've done something wrong, and then once we realize it, you know, there's, it's, there's no use for guilt. But, but when you feel guilty, how do you know? How do you know if you've done something wrong or not really? Uh, or, and if you never feel guilty, how do you know when you need to confess? Psalm 32 says this. It says, I, this is the Lord, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, I will, con- I will counsel you with my loving, my loving eye on you. This is it. This is how, this is how you know whether or not you're guilty or not. Um, so uh, what does God say? What does the Lord say? What does he ask? What is he asking for from you? Uh, which means you have, to, you have to know him in his word. You have to know, you have to read his word. <laughs> so one of the things we like to say is let your heart guide you. Uh, Jiminy Cricket says, let your conscience, conscience be your guide. We all have people in our life, you know, maybe you like this. You're like, oh yeah, let your conscience be your guide. I like that. But you have people in your life where you say, except for you though, <laughs> don't let your conscience be, you make bad decisions. Uh, there are people in prison who let their conscience be their guide, right? Uh, our hearts lead us astray. But if you let him, Christ says this, he says, I'll instruct you. I'll teach you the way you should go. 
I'll counsel you with my, my loving eye on you. I'll show you. This is, and this is where, we, where it's helpful to have someone in your life. You know, often we make, we make moral decisions on our own, on an island, and it is help, so, so very helpful to have other people in your life, other people that you're surrounded by who love Christ, who can be like, yeah, you shouldn't feel guilty about that. There's nothing wrong with that. Or the other way around. Number two. Uh, second, distinguish, uh, dis- distinguish between grief and pity. When we're, when we're working through this confession time, um, this, it helps to dis- distinguish between grief and pity. And let me, let me just talk about that a little real quick. So uh, most of the confession and correction that happens in our lives, that happens in our culture, um, has more to do with self-pity than, and self-protection than grief, real grief or real sadness about what, what people have done. Let's go back to Psalm 32. It says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. I love you. Um, do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. So at one time, I'm sorry, and this may still be this way. I don't, obviously I don't, I don't interact with animals very much. Um, but uh, when you ride a horse, you'd have, a, you'd have spurs on people would have spurs on their boots and, and the rider would communicate with the horse by giving the horse a little kick with its spurs. Um, that was communication. That was communication, a little discomfort to tell you what to do, to give you direction, to give you direction. The Lord is saying this. He's saying, don't be like that. Don't be like that. And how often I am like that, like the Lord is saying, here's what I want you to do. The Lord is the rider and I'm the horse. And he's like, okay, Daryl, go this way. And I'm like, and then the spurs. I'm like, okay, all right, I got you. I got it now. I'm ready. I, I, I see what you're saying now. Perfect example, perfect example of this. And, and not, not that I know anything about this personally. Perfect example of this is the husband who's being asked to change his selfish ways, his selfish behavior by his wife, and he won't change until she says, okay, I'm leaving. And then he's like, oh, okay, okay. Now, now he's sorry, but he's not sorry for, for, for his behavior. He's not sorry for his behavior. He's sorry for the consequences. The consequences. And what God's trying to say is, don't be sorry for the consequences. Don't, uh, we, we can, everybody can be sorry for the consequences. Because if, if, if that's you, if that's you, you'll change for a little bit. But unless, unless you take a hard look at your sin and start to regret your sin, the change won't be permanent. permanent. So the confession that I'm talking about requires each of us to pause and ask, is this true guilt or is this false guilt? Is, is this grief, sadness about, about me doing wrong to God and to people? Or is this self-pity because I have to face consequences because I'm getting spurs put into my side? Which is it? Which is it? And obviously one's better than the other. One's better than the other. Obviously, since the Lord loves us, he will, he will use spurs if he has to to keep us from walking off the cliff. But it's better. Third, in confession, we need to change, change perspective. So 
obviously when we sin, you know, we're the focus, what I want. And we never pause to consider others. Never pause to think, how's this going to affect everybody else? So listen to this verse. It says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. And then I acknowledged my sin to you. Change of perspective. Sometimes we sin because we're in pain and when we're in pain, all we can do is think of ourselves. I sin, I keep silent, my bones waste away, I'm groaning all day long. Then I change my perspective. If we're willing to do the mental work to change our perspective, um, see, things, see things from other, ones, other people's perspectives, perspectives of those that you're wronged. Um, and this is a radical act of holy imagination. Put yourself in God's shoes. Lord, I can hardly imagine what it would be like to give your entire being, give your whole self to a person who can't bother to talk to you, doesn't have time for you from day to day. I can't imagine what, how grieving that would be like. Put myself in his shoes. And once you've imagined what it's like to be God and, be, and to be wronged by you, what's it like to be your mom? What's it like to be your son? What's it like to be your coworker? Do the mental work of getting into their shoes. Do, do, do the mental work of getting into their shoes. And we often don't, you know, we don't want to do this, obviously, but the bless, there's a blessing there. The supreme soul satisfaction is in there um, when you attempt to understand someone else. So I, I, I've, I've shared many times, Silver, I'm, I've shared with you guys many times, one of my favorite speakers, Ravi Zacharias, just super smart, off the charts, off the charts smart. So um, Ravi Zacharias, is, I mean, just come out, uh, he's dead now, just come out, he's done awful, awful things, awful things to, to so many people. And it's heartbreaking. Oh, I... I it's hard to articulate how disappointing it is. And one of, and they went through, they have this long detail of some of the things he's done. One of, the, one of the interactions that he had with this woman was he was telling her, he was telling her that she was his reward for doing God's work. And he used, he used the Bible to kind of explain, well, in the Bible, God's leaders had multiple wives and so this is okay. And he, he got her to be quiet by saying, if you tell what we've done, then uh, all God, you know, God, lots of people will be lost from, from uh, all these things coming out about me. So it, 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 I, the only way, the only way that you can convince yourself to say those things to another person and control them in that way is you never pause to think, what's it like to be them? What's it like for, for them to have to sit and listen to everybody in the room talk about how wonderful I am and they know this about me? He, 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 to, to, to do that, you have to remove yourself from other people's worlds and only be thinking about yourself. 
And the terrifying thing to me, and I was saying this to Chris, the terrifying thing to me is that I don't imagine that I'm above that. I don't imagine that I'm above getting in my head and only thinking about me and only thinking about what I want. So, so dangerous, so dangerous. And this is, this is at the heart of what Psalm 32 is about, is get on your knees and change your perspective. Get out of your head. Get out of your head and all the things that you're doing to protect, cover yourself and say, what is it like to be the Lord? What does he think? What does this person think that I'm hurting? What's it like to be them? And then what would I do? What would I want them to do if I was them, what would I want for me to do and then do that thing? Do that thing, no matter what it comes. So the, the, this, is, this leads to the last one. Take responsibility. Take responsibility. Take responsibility. So this is, the verse says this. I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I confess my transgressions to the Lord. So have you noticed, have you noticed, have you noticed this? How many, how many apologies are fake apologies? Like, I'm a professional at fake, fake apologies. Like, um, well, I'm sorry you didn't like that. Or, or um, this, I'm, I'm sorry your feelings got hurt. Sorry about that. Or, or this, this I, I, like to say, I like to say this one. I'm sorry I yelled at you. I'm sorry I did the bad thing. But you did... And if you hadn't done, I love to say those kind of apologies. I don't like to receive them, honestly, right? I don't like to receive those kind of apologies. And we always, we, we always, we just, we see right through them. Um, all those kinds of apologies are attempt to cover ourselves. They're attempts to cover ourselves. And, and this verse says, I acknowledged, I did not cover I left the covering to Christ. Also, often, often I don't want to confess for something if it's not all my fault. If it's not all my fault, then, uh, then I can figure a way to be like, well, and I, I focus all my energy, all my mental energy, my emotional energy on the, the parts that are your fault. And since it wasn't all my fault, then I feel like I don't really need to confess. And, and I can have, I've got, or, or if I do confess, I can have disclaimers on my apology. But Psalm 32 that the, the Psalm 32 healing begins when the author takes full responsibility for his sins. He, he, he doesn't care about what everyone else has done. I don't care what you guys have done. All I care about was I've done. I takes full responsibility, full responsibility for what he's done. And supreme soul satisfaction starts when the blame shifting ends. It starts when self-pity ends. It starts when covering yourself ends. All those things, those things end. And the reason, the reason why we often do some kind of confession and never experience the blessing is because we don't take responsibility. What, what I wish, what I wish, what I wish would have happened, you know, before Ravi Zacharias died, he just said, hey, everybody, listen, I've been awful. I've done some awful, awful things. I'm going to take responsibility for them. So it won't be on all these people after I pass away. I'm going to take responsibility. I'm sure that when he was dying, he was like, phew, I made it. Nobody found out. Take responsibility. 
This, this is what it means to be a serious, mature Jesus follower. Take responsibility. Take responsibility. And again, we've said this before. Jesus Christ shows up and he takes responsibility for sins that aren't even his. He says, I'm going to take responsibility for all of this. So powerful. So powerful. Listen to this. You are my hiding place. This is so good. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. What if on Easter Sunday, you had done the work to make this true? Supreme satisfaction is all over this verse. It's all over it. I want you to experience this this Easter. I want you to experience this this Easter. So, would you pause today and ask the Father, if, is, is there anything that I need to confess for? Um, and, 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 you know, Carrie brought up this, this journey that she went on, this beautiful journey where she's you know, asking these questions and praying these prayers. And the, the, the truth of the matter is that most of us, we don't create space to do stuff like that. What if we would? What if we did? What if we did? Would you pause and ask the Father, is there anything I need to confess for? And maybe you won't come up with anything, so let me ask you to do this. Ask someone you live with. Ask someone who knows you well. I bet they can help. I bet they might be able to help. And determine if you're guilty of of the thing. I mean, maybe you are, maybe you're not. But do do you feel guilt or self-pity? And maybe you feel neither, but... Even if you don't, don't feel grief, you're smart enough to know that it you're smart enough to know how to act in grief, even if, even if you don't feel it. And maybe you think that's fake. But think about this. So let, while we're in here, let's pretend somebody hits your car. Somebody driving through the parking lot hits your, hits your car. And they feel really bad about it. But then they drive away. <laughs> Or while we're in here, somebody hits your car. They don't feel bad about it at all. But they, write, they leave their number on there and they say, hey, I, I ran into your car while you were in there and just let me, give me a call. I'm going to buy you a whole new car. You don't care if they feel guilty or not, right? Who cares? They're taking responsibility. If you don't feel grief for the things that you do wrong, then do the things grieving people would do to make things right. Change your perspective. What's it like from God's perspective, the people in your life? Take responsibility. And all this hard stuff, all this is hard stuff, all this is hard stuff, there's no doubt about it. I I, want to say this. I can't imagine what it would be like to be someone like Robbie Zacharias and have done the terrible, terrible, terrible things that he's done and have that on your conscience, hoping nobody finds out and thinking that you're the, the worst person of all time. The, there, there was one person, though, obviously, who knew the whole time. And no matter what that person found out, he was never going to think you're the worst person of all time. Never going to hate him. Never going to be like you. Never going to be like I hate you because of how awful you've been. And it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ 
is on your side. So when I walk through this, this confession thing, I don't really mean, I don't, I don't, I, I don't, church, in church, it can, I don't want to come off like you're really evil and a bad person. And that's why you need to do all your confession. We're all, we're all in the same boat. The best, the person in your life who you think is the best Christian in the world, we're all in the same boat. All I'm asking you to do, and the reason why is because on on behalf of the Lord, he wants you to enter into his supreme soul satisfaction. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. Let's pray together and then uh, you'll be dismissed. Dear Father, um, I pray for our church family uh, as we lead up to Easter, that you would help us to not, to not go around living in guilt. Guilt has no, has no value once it's, once it's past the point of getting us motivated to take the steps we've talked about today. I, I pray that you, you would have many moments with the different people in this room You'd have many moments of the different people in this room today, and if not today, this week, where you meet with us and we confess to you. uh, And we confess to somebody else. We want in on the blessing that you've talked about in Psalm 32. We want in on it. And we we want to celebrate (laughs) and... Uh, experience the soul satisfaction that you promise in you. We can't have that if we're super busy trying to cover ourselves with all the, all the, the talents you've given us or how smart we think we are or whatever, whatever we cover ourselves with. Help us, help us today to abandon those things and just come, come to you as we are and to let you cover us. Motivate us to do this. Motivate us to try this. And I pray for the person in this room right now who's like, I'm not doing that. I pray that you'd move in their heart. I pray that you move in your heart and you move in their heart and make them willing. Help them to be willing to do, do these uncomfortable things. Not because of, not because of me or not, not, not because you're trying, to, you're trying to force them to be something. It's because you love them desperately. Help us to love you desperately. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on our church, visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com.